This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, guys? We're coming to you live here on um, Sunday night. We are going to talk about a couple different things. We had a guest lined up. Something has fallen through. He has not gotten back to me. That's okay. Uh, things happen. Life happens. It's Sunday night. Sometimes people can get back, and sometimes people can't. It's okay. If he joins us, we'll pop him in. If not, again, no big deal. Uh, but we are going to talk about Baker Mayfield because, and it's unfortunate that he's not here to talk because I want to talk about a little bit of what, and I, I encourage you guys to, to fire comments if you have any. There's about 50 of us hanging out in here. And, and, and I, I mean, I just really want to talk about kind of all things Baker, thing that I have noticed that has been interesting to me with, with Baker. And I'm going to collectively write on this down the line. So uh, I, I know that some of you have been asking about when I can um, come, you know, kind of come at you guys. I had intentions of writing a Baker Mayfield collective piece about what he did well his third year, how he turned things around at a certain point of his third year. Um, This was something that I eventually wanted to address. I, I, as as draft season got going, I couldn't commit the time to. So once the draft and free agency obviously has stopped, once the draft is gone and, and, and passed through, I will. I will definitely dig into a week full of Baker Mayfield content. But something I just noticed that I wanted to talk to John about, if John could have made it tonight, was essentially the fact that it seems like no quarterback has gotten more hate than Baker Mayfield uh, in in coming off of the season that he came off of. So, you know, I think that what's interesting to me is anytime – I think something I've noticed is people are like particularly like Mike Clay – Last week had Kirk Cousins ranked ahead of him. You know, something I have noticed is anytime you see something positive about the Browns on social media, one of the big outlets puts it out, CBS, ESPN, uh, Pro Football Focus has morphed into that. Um, I see I see a couple questions about uh, – I see a defensive tackle question. I'll get to that because we're going to talk about Sheldon here in a little bit. But the thing that I've noticed about Baker is that he receives a lot of hate and um, a lot of disdain because people still don't think he can handle the job. People still don't think he can be – um, you know, a guy that can ultimately lead your team to a Super Bowl. There are those guys you can win with, and there are those guys that you can, uh, I think, I mean, ultimately, I think that you guys, you know this, you can win because of. There's a select few that you can win because of. So in my opinion, what I've noticed is that people have swung, after Baker's rookie season, people swung to the complete opposite end of the spectrum last year with the 21 interceptions, and they have not given him any credit after the poor start to this past year, have not given him any credit uh, for for figuring things out and being a really good quarterback the rest of the way because a couple things that I'll note is 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 Baker I think that at the middle of the year the Browns decided 
they've put themselves in a bind. They put themselves in a bind in terms of uh, how they're going to handle this guy for the future. Meaning most teams get three years of an evaluation in a certain system while others get, um, you know, while other situations involve, okay, let me rectify this kind of backtrack here. Most quarterbacks are drafted with a head coach and a GM and they get three years to evaluate those guys down the line. The Browns, because of the situation they put themselves in over the first two years, did not get that quarterback system, you know, uh, the the leadership at the top of the of the of the totem pole all collectively together. So what it did was it accelerated things this year. So what Stefanski and Barry I think did about midway through the years. Yes, we have we have Nick Chubb, we have Kareem Hunt, we have this ability to run the football, and while we do that well, we want to challenge Baker Mayfield to carry us at certain moments of the year. And I think that was a big part of what they wanted to do. And I thought personally. I thought Baker responded to that pretty well. Now, people who don't watch the Browns play continuously, uh, other than maybe big-time games, have this preconceived notion of they have the best offensive line of football, they have these great, fantastic running backs. It's, it's, this, it's this collective issue with Baker thinking he has the easiest job in football, while if you watched the games, there were not a ton of schemed open throws for Baker to make all the time. So while I get that there's skepticism um you know in terms of what he did his second year ultimately i think that there are people that don't quite understand the magnitude of of what happened collectively failure that happened for baker in his second season in the nfl between freddie between what was going on around him i don't think people fully understood it. and i think some of that is a is uh is, is baker's issue too uh, I think he did not prepare well. He learned a lot about not preparing his body and his mind the right way, but there were a lot of failures around Baker. So you going into year three, people have kind of made their mind up about Baker after kind of, you know, everybody wants to see this linear progression. You get, you know, year one, it's kind of like Josh Allen's been able to pull off where you go year one. And I'm going to welcome in John now as he's joined us. I'm going to go, he goes year one to year two to year three, where Josh was terrible his first year. His second year, he gets a little bit better, more towards respectable. And then year three, he kind of takes off. Well, Baker goes year one, pretty, pretty, I think pretty good. His second year dips down, has a down year, and then year three bounces back. So listen, I, John, and I don't know if you've been here, how long you've been listening to what I've been rapping about, but like there is a collective issue with, in my opinion, when I see people talk about the Browns, this idea that Baker Mayfield is holding them back from going where they want to go. Because the thing that I keep seeing, John, is you'll see the Browns have – some people will say, oh, the Browns have the best roster in football. I think they have a, a Super Bowl contending roster. Well, they don't have a quarterback. They don't have – Baker Mayfield's holding them back. It's just something I've noticed, and I don't know if I'm alone in noticing that or not. And, John, I, I you know me, man. Like I've I've been very down on Baker when I think he's been playing poorly, but I think – the swing of the pendulum all the way to this other end of that Baker is now holding the Browns back. I just don't think could be any less realistic. Yeah. I think he'd been fair is what I would call it. You know, like uh, he, you know, he had some downtimes and um, I think there's a couple of things that, that factor into this one. Um, there's this weird idea that like this offense is like some kind of panacea that can make any quarterback look good you know like if you um if you listen to people talk about Kyle Shanahan's offense it's it's the same deal you know they're like you know it's it's the best offense for any quarterback um you know and I think that there's a couple of things with this I think one is uh and I experienced this a little bit with Favre 
is, um, you know, he has an, an exuberance, um, a lot of fun playing, which is a lot of fun to watch when things are going well. If things don't go well, then uh, then people tend to crash down on it pretty hard. So you need Baker to be playing well to kind of like enjoy the Baker experience. And uh, yeah. so you've got like that piece of it. And then, uh, you know, people assuming that this is just some kind of panacea offense that can make any quarterback look good. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that he's had like four offensive coordinators and, you know, three head coaches. And, um, you know, that's a difficult situation for anybody. And, you know, when he entered that second year, you know, he entered with um, an awful set of offensive linemen. And you don't need, like, great offensive linemen. I know that he has great offensive linemen now, but uh, you just need average offensive line play. And when he entered that second year, I mean – Jesus, uh, I can barely even remember his name. Harrison, who who was the, you know, we, we entered that talking about whether we're going to put Joel on the outside. Um, and then they ended up yeah. switching that at the very last minute and putting, what was his name? Do you remember? I, I can, I can see his face, but now I can't remember. He was an undrafted free agent. Um, yeah. I he started he that Pittsburgh game, didn't he? Yep. Or am I losing my mind? Keep, keep going. I'm, I'm going to figure like, out his name. And it was like the, the week before, you know, it was like, you know, they had prepared uh, for several weeks to put Joel on the outside. And all of a sudden you decide that you're not going to do that. You're going to put him back on the inside and play this undrafted free agent rookie uh, on Baker's blind side. And then, you know, we had nothing on the other side of Baker either. And so, yeah, Desmond Harrison, good Desmond call by Harrison. Steve there. Yeah, could not remember his name, man. Yep. That tells you enough, probably. Yeah, I remember that too, man. They were like all, and I talked to Zagura <laughs> right around that time, and I could tell Zagura had like this nervous apprehension about it of trying to be nice about it, but like, yeah, we don't really trust him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course, you don't trust him. Did he, <laughs> he's he's gone, he get in right? serious trouble? Did he get in some serious trouble? Did he, I don't did he find himself? Know that. I, I, know I know that Greg know Robinson, uh, Greg Robinson had the weed issue. Yeah. Um, but I can't I can't remember what Harrison had. He had something there too. I can't remember it. I don't know. That's all a blur, but you're right. The offensive line play, although they had names like Joel and they had Treader come along, and Greg Robinson had like a solid close to to 2018 and to 2019. Like Chris Hubbard was was average, below average last year. He's much better in the role he's in now. And like they couldn't solve right guard until the very end of 2019. So he, he's definitely not dealt with three years of this fantastic offensive line play. The thing that's interesting too, John, this is why I like people bouncing things back and forth because you start talking, then I can start remembering things that I as an idiot talking by myself, I can't remember, is like his 2018 metrics were really good because he made a lot of plays on the move. And if if uh, talking to a lot of people at Pro Football Focus, they were like, you know, we were high on Baker after his rookie year, but a lot of the things he was doing were things that were not um, – Things that you see consistent repeating success in things like getting out of the pocket and making throws on the move because as you know you get out of the pocket and guys could be anywhere and it changes it changes scheme to scheme like play call to play call when guys get out of the uh, you know you get out of the pocket and a guy's on an out route and at the perfect time you get out of the pocket he can turn it up field and you can throw it up field to him uh, as he turns up field for a twenty five yard like that doesn't happen snap snap so. What was so encouraging is that this year, when you talk to those people that do the, the the John Costco does such good work in the quarterback metrics for them, which is is what I really trust as Pro Football Focus's quarterback metrics, is that um, 
the things that he was really good at this year, rhythm throwing, beating the blitz, accuracy numbers, are repeatable things that we've seen, haven't really seen from him. And what that tells me is you see a guy who's the, who, who, who officially has the game slowing down. And I was listening to Ryan Rosillo's podcast, which he's doing a fun thing with, with stories from draft prospects. And he's talking to Trent Dilfer, who Trent Dilfer had a notoriously terrible first three seasons, not anywhere near the ballpark <laughs> of what Baker's doing. But he talked about the third year, like things slowing down. And I thought that there was just a point, and I don't know what happened in the Cincinnati game uh, on the road. You know, maybe, maybe it was Odell going out with a knee and it just woke everybody up. But something happened with him in the, on like that fifth drive where he's just like, okay, it's clicking, and from there, they had some moments where in those windy games where they were just brutal, there were some up-and-down moments here and there, but like, I thought he played phenomenally throughout the year and really put the team on his back largely throughout the second half of the season, and I could even go as saying two-thirds of the season. So, listen, I, I, I know, I understand why people have apprehension about him. It's just getting a little bit over the top to me where it's swung from one way to the other, Um a good question here we've had sitting up from Patton is what what percentage do you feel a belief in him? I'm at like a solid 90%. And when I say solid 90%, that's like, like I'll sign him to whatever the deal is. I don't care. I, I've, I have no. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Care in the world about whatever deal they end up giving him. Um, if at the end of the year, because that's that's how much I believe he's figured it out. Uh, the 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 player in the locker room, I think, is a guy people rally around. The city can rally around him. I think it's all there, and I thought he proved to be a really good football player. Now, I talked about this all the time last year, John, where I kept saying how important of a year it was. And yes, it was an extremely important third season for Baker. But what knocking your third season out of the park does for you is it makes your fourth season even more important now, right? Where sure. the contract and all of it is on the line. He set the table for himself. Now he has to prove that he can actually, you know, make the meal. So that's that's a big thing for him. So where are you at on percentage of belief in him? Uh, pretty high. Um, and, you know, like you talk about, like, some of those things as a rookie where he was excelling in some of those non-repeatable categories. But when you look at it also – um, he was also excelling in things that are repeatable. So when I look at, like, to say the QB annual from those two years at PFF, um, and I talked to John Costco about what are the things that are repeatable, um, his first and third years, he has excelled in the things that are repeatable, like, uh, you know, play from a clean pocket. And, you know, like the things that aren't repeatable are uh, or are not consistent year to year are the um, – you know, play under pressure and stuff like that. Actually, 
which was that this is a funny thing that probably a lot of people wouldn't guess is that his best year under pressure was his second year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like it was mm -hmm. top 10 percentile in the uh, in the league. Um, but his first, yeah, but his rhythm year, metrics were pretty terrible. Actually, oh, that was a big awful. issue. Yeah. And it was awful to look yeah. at. So like, I would never yeah. have guessed that myself unless I, yeah. unless I saw that. So, um, his first and third years, um, he is excelling in all of those things. And, uh, you know, for, for those that would be, you know, um, you know, getting back to the question, uh, that would be scared of a Wentz or a, um, a, uh, what's his name? Um, golf situation. Uh, in terms of extending this guy, um, when you look at his QB annual, th there's not a comparison. Like, he's excelling in all the right things. Um, and, you know, like, I, I mean, I would give him whatever money, like, to, you know, to again, to get back to this question, I would give him whatever money he wanted. But the fact of the matter is that I don't know that there's a reason that he would want to sign, you know, in a, in a year where the cap is down and those kind of things and where you have a, um, a situation where Dak Prescott uh, with half a leg is breaking the bank, you know, then what's the risk? What's the risk for a quarterback to, to not sign that deal? I wouldn't do it. I, now, yeah. you know, like if, if, if Baker wanted 40 million a year, I'd give it to him right now, but I don't think that he has a lot of incentive to make that deal. So uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think. Yeah. There, there are some things for me that I'm like, I, I think there's 10% of wiggle room here. So so this is an interesting thing. I respect Tim a lot. I think he does great work. And um, he said, you know, and this is something I've seen. It's not just Tim saying it here, but this is something I've seen. You know, you want to see what defenses do after a full year of tape on Stefanski's system. Well, I, you could talk about the tendencies of what Kevin likes to call, but, like, there, there's the Kerry Kubiak system, which is what Stefanski runs, he doesn't run what Kyle Shanahan necessarily runs. The Gary Kubiak system's been out forever. It's not a secret, and 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 the and the system, uh, the principles of the system, what they like to do, are not going to change. Now you could you could talk about scouting a year of Baker for for tendencies of what Baker likes to do in that system, or tendencies of what Stefanski's calling. I mean, yeah, but like I think that they're going to evolve too. Kevin's talked about it ad nauseum this offseason about their evolution, about Baker's evolution within the system, what they want to change, what they found was really working. So I get it. I think you want to see listen, the biggest thing is you want to see repeat consistency. You need to see him do it for two years in a row. If he does it for two years in a row, those 35 touchdowns under 10 picks or 10 picks or under, like, yeah, you're gonna just sign him. He's good enough to sign. Like Listen, I'm not oblivious to it. I don't think he's at the tier of the elite elite right now, but is 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 it impossible? Not even impossible. Is it far from likely he can get there? No, I think it's I think he can get there in time. If you continue to be patient with him over the next 10 years, I think you're gonna see a guy who has some years that are really elite. I just think the game has gotten to the point for him that he has a pretty good feel for what he needs to do to be successful. He's had three years of figuring out what he can do from his athletic limitation standpoint and what he can do with his arm, trusting his arm to throw into certain windows. So listen, we're going to talk about Baker a hundred million times. I just had to bring you on, John, to talk about it. I want to talk about Sheldon too. Um, so the Browns let go of Sheldon Richardson. I, I was – Listen, there's a lot of things that I think I get right, and there's there's some things I get wrong. I just didn't think – I know the number. I knew the metric. I knew all of it, but I didn't think they'd let him go. Um, I have kind of worked my way back around on this thing, which is um, I get it more now than I did when I was being a little bullheaded about it, where he's kind of just been fine. Now, he's had – he had – I think he had 50 pressures last year, 40 hurries – 
five hits, six sacks. We didn't get to the quarterback close enough to hit them, but he was changing and disrupting the pocket. Dane Brugler the other day said a quote that I really loved because uh, I think this way, but I hadn't put it so elegantly into words, which is disruption is production, right. uh, which is, I think, a fantastic quote about how about how guys play on the interior and, and, and truly understanding that disrupting the pocket, disrupting the quarterback is producing because it messes with everything. So I was surprised about Sheldon. Um, I think the best way to put it is I get it, but I didn't love it. Uh, I have no reason not to trust that they'll figure this out and replace his production and maybe get it for something cheaper. But there's no denying if you look at social media, John, the players loved him. He liked being in Cleveland. So some of that stuff is is tough, and they have to make sure they handle it the things the right way, or players will notice some of these things. So um, you you know, I listen, I, I like I said, it's it's an it is what it is situation. They wanted to save money for the future. I still thought he could have been a, a nice part of this defense in 2021, but um, I, I was wrong. So they, they move on, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Well, uh, so my thoughts were this was a target for me at uh, the beginning of this offseason where I thought that they might make a move. Um, however, uh, it's a little different now because most of the free agency has happened. So um, here's the thing. This is a god awful draft for uh, defensive <laughs> tackles, right? It is. Um, yeah. So I just I think right now we're dealing with like an incomplete picture. Um, I assume the, these guys have not done things thoughtlessly. Um, you know. For yeah, the, there's no whimsical out. approach. You're right. That's a good point. So I just want to see where we're at in two weeks or something like that. I just I don't feel right commenting on this because I feel that. Um, that they have a plan and that we're going to look a little different. Cause I don't think their plan is the draft. So like, that's what I would say. Like Maurice Hurst got released over in Vegas. I think that's somebody that they'd be very interested in. Um, you know, and there's, there, there are guys that are out there that they can um, make moves on, but I don't think the plan is to just release this guy and then deal with it in the draft. So uh, I'm assuming that there's going to be a move or two made in the next week or two um, that will complete this picture. Because right now I just think it's incomplete. Yeah. So it boils down to, can you get somebody like, I mean, Hurst only played 277 snaps last year. The other guy that's still out there, that's notable. I mean, he's obviously older, but we've seen him haunt this division for so long. Geno Atkins, he only played 119 snaps last year. Can you get somebody like Geno Atkins and, and, uh, and, 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 ultimately get by can you get somebody like Hurst or Atkins for four million and get a similar level of production to to what you got from from Richardson <clears throat> maybe maybe you can maybe you can I'm not I'm not entirely sure that's the risk calculated risk they're going to take and they'd rather roll that money down the line that's fine I think that I've thought too as I've, I've been thinking about this you know if you look at the roster right now you have you have two guys I think you could feel comfortable starting in, in Billings and Malik uh, Andrew Billings coming back from the COVID-19 List last year, he decided not to to partake. He opted out, and and Malik Jackson, who they signed, I, I think both of them have enough ability and starting experience in this league to 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 be able to handle it for the most part. What I was interested in is they kept Sheldon. That'd be Sheldon, uh, um, Billings, Richardson, Elliott. Now I'm not very high on Jordan Elliott. I did not think Jordan Elliott had a very good rookie season, Great. like to the point that you want to see a guy flash in his rookie season, and I didn't see any flashing at all. I saw a guy who was slow off the football. I wrote about it. If you want to read about it, it's at the OBR. Like, 
I, I just would be surprised if he becomes a starter in the NFL at any capacity. But anyway, <clears throat> I was confused at how they were going to get everybody. If they go out and draft, because people were like, well, they got to draft an inside guy because they don't have many guys after 2021. And then they had this guy who I think is best suited to play along the interior, maybe 10, 15, 20 snaps a game in Clowney. If you watch his tape, and I'm just talking 2020 alone, watch when this guy lines up a D tackle. Like, I've got the clip running. You're listening to this on the pod, audios, the, the patio uh Wow, I can't talk. The <laughs> podcast version of this, audio sure. only, we have a video of Clowney lining up inside and snaps he took uh, last year. I think he's best suited to play along the interior. Like, I just think he's a really good interior football player, and he doesn't want to do it. He wants to play as an edge, so he maybe only does it 15 snaps a game. But between those starting four and then getting Clowney some snaps inside where he's really effective, in my opinion, I'm like, I don't know how there's enough snaps for everybody, especially if you include a rookie in there. So, um, you know, that, that was where I was at. So I'm not, now that they've moved on, I'm not entirely stunned that they did it because I think you can say those top three, maybe they go out and get a guy with pick 91 or pick 110 because as bad as I think the top half of the draft is a defensive tackle, John, I think the back half, the middle to back half has some really fun prospects, Milton Williams, um, uh, two kid, the two kids, yeah, Lee McNeil, two kids from USC are impressive. Tommy Togia has some impressive tape at certain at certain points too. So, like a role playing defensive tackles there. So, if you have those four guys, Elliot, uh, if you talk about your top two, Billings, Jackson, Elliot, a, a, a mid round pick, and then giving Clowney some snaps and pass, pass rush situations inside, that's a fine group. You can get by and you can kind of solve your long term down the line. I just, I still don't think they go after Barmore in the first round. I just think that's a little far-fetched. So, listen, at the end of the day, I don't think Clowney's signing did anything from a financial standpoint to eliminate Sheldon for his team. But what it did when they signed him and they talked to him, they probably said, hey, man, we have this guy, Tack McKinley, who we signed, who we like to play too. So between Tack, you, and Miles, we have the ability to dump some people inside. Miles proved he can play inside when he wants to and he can dominate. We got Tack. We got three guys we feel good about. We're going to play some of you guys inside too. We have three guys. We're going to draft a guy. So they probably decided at that point, this $13 million is a luxury so that we can take that money. We can go out and sign somebody at a key position, or we can roll this money into next year and be a rollover cap spot where we can, you know, use that money to make up for the down the line void years we've used on Troy Hill and some of these other guys like Mm -hmm. Jack Conklin and kind of wipe away that credit card debt, or they can be rolled into money that we use um, for whatever, you know, you can roll it into money you used for extension, early part of extensions, whatever. So <clears throat> ultimately, listen, I would love to have had Sheldon this year. I, I would have been more than happy with keeping him. I thought they were going to keep him, but they cut him. I don't love it because I like the guy and he was a part of trying to turn the culture around here. But again, I get it. And at this juncture, we have no reason to think um, that Andrew Barry doesn't have some f- sort of plan. I hope it does work out. I don't want it to work out where the only thing I've had to say about Andrew Barry in the front office is, I thought they were very thin at addressing depth at the safety position last year, and they did not have a great plan there. Should injuries have happened to a really thin position at that spot, and injuries did happen. Now, you can't fix everything in one season, so I was very lenient understanding with that. Can't fix everything. Now they're fixing the defense, so I hope that they don't create too big of a void here, and I think I I like their plan, um, but I need to see it kind of fully come to fruition. So that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, and you know, like uh, Lane will tell you, like one of the the comments that stuck out to me is that – he said that, uh, you know, if you heard the things that Barry has tried to pull off, you'd blow your mind. Sure. You know, so I'm like, it seems like he's been active. And the bottom line is just, you know, I think you and I both agree that um, they haven't done this uh, thoughtlessly. 
and without input from the coaches and the, and that kind of thing. So yeah, um, it was I'm not it was not thrown thing. against the wall. You're right. You're, you're right. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're right. They they probably looked at this from from nine degrees of separation, man. Of of how does it affect our defense? How does it affect our rotations? How does it affect our depth? How does it affect our salary cap? How does it affect our draft plans? There's so many things that go into that. They would not have made that decision lightly. And I don't think, and while this, this is something that it keeps coming up. Well, they just signed Clowney. They got, they got, they got, they spent that money. They could open up their, no, it's not about money. In my opinion, they put the void years in place to be an only 3.5 million cap in on Clowney. It's pretty evident to me that when you get Clowney, it's more about now we feel like we have 10 to 15 interior snaps with this guy, Miles, or Tack, that we feel good about rotating those guys inside for extra snaps, and we can do more things with him now, and we have this luxury to open this money up to go get another outside corner, or like I said, the options of rolling it into next year to wipe out void year credit card debt or whatever, it's all there on the table, so... Um, listen, we've talked to the draft about 37 straight days on this pod, so it was nice to take a break, John. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I know your baby was going. I know you had some, some fatherly yeah, duty to take care of. It's Fair all bad. good, brother. This was a good conversation. So um, John will typically be with me on Sundays, uh, barring anything crazy happening like his son uh, spitting up or something <laughs> something nuts going on. We all know how it is to be a dad. So, John, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, no problem, Jake. All right, guys, we will be back uh, next week. Why did I say next week? Tomorrow. God, I've got to get used to podcasting every day. I think we're going to have Jordan <laughs> Zerm on. We're going to have Jordan Zerm on tomorrow. We're going to talk about a little bit more draft and some of his social media stuff that he does for the check down and, and sort of where they stand on the Browns and comprehensive look. So this is fun. Always fun. Try to get as many comments up here as we can. Some good con- conversations in the comments section going on while the, li- the live's going on here. Uh, talking about extensions. We will get to extension discussion after the draft. I promise there's so many good topics to get to. We just got to get through the draft. Again, reminder, we are doing a live show every single night of the draft at the OBR. We'll have guys like John on uh, in in different segments to talk about picks and players and all that stuff. All of our OBR, OBR guys will be there. So make sure, again, subscribe to this channel. For any time we go live, you get an alert. Subscribe to the podcast channel so that you make sure you can uh, give us a review and a rating if possible. And then a $1 first month option with the OBR to see if we can take care of your Browns needs from every angle. So we appreciate you guys. As usual, we'll catch you tomorrow. We go Browns.